welcome back. This is your host, Attorney Alan Edmonds, and I wanted to discuss today a very important topic called a intent to revoke eligibility. As many of you know, I'm a attorney that practices security clearance appeals, federal administrative actions, uh, Merit Systems Protection Board, and military law. And I have been conducting this series of podcasts to help you navigate a process that's often confusing and uh, difficult to understand. On its face, it looks simple, but uh, many of you uh, misconstrue what's required. You handle your own responses and then you lose and you dug yourself into a hole. And um, I'm trying to avoid that dilemma for you because it impacts your career, your future, and your ability to provide for yourself and your family. Today, uh, the Edmonds Law Firm is presenting this podcast on uh, security clearance appeals, but specifically intent to revoke eligibility. You should know that you can get an intent to revoke eligibility in a variety of situations from a variety of government agencies. It may be a security clearance, but it may be a suitability, it may be other allegations, and our firm stands by you throughout the whole process. In fact, we help uh, civilian contractors, federal employees, and um, active duty military across the United States. Our clients, however, uh, go beyond the borders of this country. We have deployed military uh, in the Middle East. We have deployed military in uh, the Pacific Rim and contractors as well. Uh, we represent people from the major military installations around the world. And uh, all you have to do is call us at 800-481-2526 or uh, send us an email from wherever you're located and you will have a response within a matter of hours. Uh, we are very, very grateful for your service and the fact that you are experiencing an incredible sacrifice by being deployed. So today's hearing, uh, hearing, so to speak, uh, can't take the trial lawyer out of the lawyer. Today's podcast is uh, the intent to revoke eligibility. We're going to deal with an actual case that we just uh, received and were retained on. And uh, this client, my client is a individual who uh, received a intent to revoke eligibility for access to sensitive compartmented information, an SCI, and it came from the Defense Counterintelligence Security Agency, commonly referred to as DCSA, which is located at Fort Meade uh, in Maryland. And uh, this document uh, begins by saying um, the Department of, uh, or DCSA, was renamed and um, the change to DCSA CAS uh, does not change the mission, relationship, or resources. Uh, we will continue to deliver informed and timely adjudicative decisions for the federal government. This is just an introductory paragraph. For those of you that don't know, uh, this used to be called the uh, Consolidated Adjudication Facility at Fort Meade, CAF at Fort Meade, and now it's DCSA uh, CAS. So, um, Anyway, they rendered this decision, and uh, the decision on page one uh, tells the person, in this case our client, 
that his uh, clearance and eligibility for access to classified information uh, is being challenged. And they have issued, in this case, a statement of reasons. And you know from my previous podcast that a statement of reasons is the first step following your submission of an SF-86 or EKIP. Uh, it's the first step in revoking or denying your clearance. These documents are very, very important. It's like a stick of dynamite. You have a limited time to respond in the correct manner. And uh, if you do not, the consequences are very serious to your clearance. And if your clearance is required for your position, then you will be uh, removed from your position. You'll be either terminated or put on administrative uh, leave with or without pay. And uh, this document says that uh, uh, requires the recipient to complete an attachment and uh, with the documents and the time limits in this document are also crucial. So whenever you receive a statement of reasons, which may or may not be accompanied by an intent to revoke, you have to watch the deadlines and every agency has different deadlines, but you are tasked with the responsibility of knowing how to respond, when to respond and to whom you should respond. And in this uh, notice, it states your organization's SMO security management office uh, must be responded to and receive your response within 10 calendar days of the receipt of this memorandum. And um, it also indicates that uh, records can be requested and uh, those records are the ones that DCSA and CAS relied on to make the preliminary decision. And what you have to understand that when you get this, a decision has already been made to uh, revoke or deny your clearance. The uh, paragraph goes on to say, uh, use the appropriate record request if your SOR is based upon records other than or in addition to the DCSA investigation. Here's another big pitfall and danger for most applicants. They don't know what forms to use. And if they use the wrong form requesting documents, they never get the documents. Um, you're warned in this notice that failure to request the records in a timely manner or failure to provide an accurate mailing address and or failure to accept receipt of the records upon delivery will not serve as a justification for an extension of time to respond to the SOR. So now the gun is loaded, the trigger's cocked. If you don't meet the deadlines, then you're going to have a difficult time responding to the SOR. Many people think, well, I will simply ask for an extension, and they do, and one of two things, actually one of three things can happen. Number one, the extension can get denied, Number two, you don't hear from the agency. You put in a request for an extension, and they totally ignore you. And the third thing that can happen is that they can give you an extension if the request is timely made. So uh, the document uh, I'm reading from it goes on to say that you can challenge the preliminary decision by responding in writing. And that writing, when this law firm does it, is 25 to 30 pages long. 
a lot of you think, well, I can write a letter. My uh, FSO or my SMO will help me. Uh, that's a huge mistake. That's not in their job description, but they'll, they'll help me. Or people have told me, my friends and colleagues have told me, it just takes a one or two page response uh, to clear up the questions involved. And that's totally uh, erroneous and misinformation. So uh, it goes on to say you can uh, obtain legal counsel. And I hope that you do that. This is your career and this is your job. Um, the Edmonds Law Firm is one of the most prestigious and largest law firms in the United States. We've been helping people for over 46 years, and we are known by every agency uh, for our work. You have an opportunity to win this case with a formal response to the uh, intent to revoke eligibility. And uh, then uh, there's other deadlines uh, on the last paragraph of this notice. It says um, you must, uh, if you're going to respond in writing, uh, submit it through your SMO within 60 days from the date that you acknowledge receipt of the memorandum. And uh, finally, on the last page, it says, if you choose the option not to respond, or if you choose to respond, but your response is not received within the specified time, this preliminary decision will become final. Well, that is just a cataclysmic result, but it does uh, and is consistent with what I've been saying in these podcasts uh, for the last several months. If you miss the deadlines on these federal agency notices, whether it's a statement of reasons, a notice of intent uh, to revoke eligibility, or a notice of unsuitability, a finding of unsuitability, if you miss the deadlines, then uh, the preliminary decision becomes final. Once that becomes final, it's recorded as such at DCSA and other federal agencies, and your clearance is revoked. And uh, many of you call me after you've learned that your clearance has been revoked. And uh, we, of course, treat that very seriously. We file petitions and requests to try and set aside that decision. In this case, uh, our client uh, received the uh, notice of intent to revoke eligibility, and with it was a statement of reasons. And I'll just use this uh, by example. I'm not going to go through these specific guidelines. Uh, we are indeed working our way through the guidelines. If you've been following our podcast, uh, we've been going through the uh, adjudicative guidelines uh, and uh, commonly referred to as DOD Directive 5220.6. We've been going through the most popular ones. And this statement of reasons has guideline H, which is drug involvement. And as you know, the concern is that the illegal use of controlled substances to include the misuse of prescription and non-prescription drugs and the use of other substances that cause physical or mental impairment or are used in a manner inconsistent with their intended purpose can raise questions about an individual's reliability and trustworthiness. Um, always, always the government raises trustworthiness. And um, so they cited my client here for uh, guideline H, drug involvement, 
because he had eaten two edible candy lollipops that contain marijuana. And uh, there are two allegations under this uh, SOR, and they uh, specifically indicate the dates of ingestion and um, the facts surrounding it. What's interesting in this case is that the reason the government has this information is because my client self-reported. My client told an investigator about this and the investigator turned it around, gave it to the DCSA people at Fort Meade and they drafted a statement of reasons to revoke his clearance. So many of you think, well, if I come clean and I definitely encourage you to tell the truth, if I come clean, the government is going to forgive me. They're going to give me a big hug and say, don't let it happen again. And that's exactly uh, not what's going to happen. Instead, as in the case here, a statement of reasons will be issued and the government's going to come after you to revoke your clearance. The second guideline in this case that was raised against my client is guideline J, which is criminal conduct. And uh, the language in the guideline and in this allegation, this charging document says criminal activity creates doubt about a person's judgment, reliability, and trustworthiness. By its very nature, it calls into question a, a person's ability or willingness to comply with laws, rules, and regulations. This is interesting because in this case, this individual was a civilian. Had he been a military member, he could have been charged under Article 112 Alpha of the UCMJ, which is wrongful use of a controlled substance. And uh, uh, here it's being uh, alleged under Guideline J, criminal activity. And uh, the allegation really uses the same set of facts and uh, restates them that they used in guideline H, drug involvement, uh, with this uh, guideline J, criminal conduct. So the task for our law firm, our experts here, I assigned a legal team to this case, including one national security attorney and one national security paralegal, and uh, we immediately notified the uh, DCSA people of our uh, representation. They know us very well. Uh, we handle over 60 of these cases a month. And um, we notified them of our representation. We sent the necessary formal documents to them that they require. And then we uh, started the task of uh, establishing a case in mitigation. When we do this, we comply with the instructions that uh, DCSA gives you for responding to a statement of reasons. Those instructions mean a lot more to us than they may to you because we've been doing this so long. And uh, we created a case and are in the process of creating a case of mitigation uh, for our client. We treat this very seriously. We quote a flat fee for this step. You don't pay for a hearing and you never want to pay hourly fees. We quote a flat fee to this client and he hired us. And now we're doing the response to the notice of intent 
and embedded in that, of course, is the response to the statement of reasons. If it's successful, and if you go to my website, you'll see that we often win cases with just the formal written response. We're one of the few law firms in the country that does that. And uh, we post those results on our website for your review. But uh, the beauty of that is that our client is uh, granted his clearance. It's re reinstated because he won with a formal written response and there's no need to go on to a hearing. The hearings are more expensive. We do them for clients every week. Uh, most of them are done virtually, although some can be done uh, in person at uh, Woodland Hills in California or Arlington uh, in Virginia on North Randolph Street. Uh, our lawyers travel there. Um, so you have a choice of appearing in person or appearing virtually. And uh, we quote flat fees for the hearing. So at the Edmonds Law Firm, you only pay for what you need. And uh, exorbitant uh, legal fees can be quoted. And you should be very careful. I hope you'll call us for a second opinion on your case. Uh, many lawyers uh, send us their complex cases. And we are uh, very, very uh, pleased and honored to uh, accept those. And it's very flattering that we have that reputation. We are all litigators. The attorneys here are trained to litigate and to appear in court on behalf of our clients. So we're here to help you. Uh, again, our number is 800-481-2526. And we have resources under Edmonds Law on Spotify and other platforms, as well as our YouTube videos. We post those every week for you. There are, of course, no cost for those uh, videos. And you can learn more about your case and you can learn enough to ask questions of us. We welcome your phone calls. So thank you so much for uh, listening to this podcast. This is attorney Alan V. Edmonds uh, with the Edmonds Law Firm. Thank you.